I installed a, a whole sink. That's awesome. A whole sink. Not a half a sink, a whole one. I couldn't do a whole or a half, so <laughs> I'm <vlogging>. <laughs> Welcome to Nuance Tea. I'm Brittany. And I'm Aurelia. And we are two clergy women speaking on pop culture, identity, and healing. We are steeping into our power and we want you to join us. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 10. Whoa, that's crazy. (laughs) We launched our coffee account last week in lieu of an episode, which we'll talk more about at the end of this episode. So stick around for the whole thing. But Brittany, how are you doing? What are your essentials? I took a spiritual bath last week. If you have not figured it out by now, for the folks who are listening, I love me a good bath. So I took a spiritual bath around the same time as the new moon. I am loving being connected to the lunar cycle these days. The lunar cycle and this past new moon were intense. Yeah, my emotions were um all over the place. I mean, honestly, that's not just from this past new moon i think it's just been like the last few months quite frankly i've talked about having a lot of angst um Mm -hmm. and just being a lot of transition and changes in my life right now yeah so i've been trying to combat that in the best way that i can but taking a bath is one of the ways that helps me with that. How do you define a spiritual bath? What's funny is the more I've learned about spiritual baths, the more I've realized that I've been taking spiritual baths without even realizing that's necessarily what they were called. The difference between a spiritual bath or a regular bath might just be setting greater intention for the time that you're taking it. Like, for instance, I took a spiritual bath on the new moon, and the new moon is a space in the lunar cycle where you create more space for intention. It's about realizing what you want um, over the next couple weeks before the full moon comes. But for me, even outside of the lunar cycle, a spiritual bath um, could be using certain herbs, um, certain flowers to elevate um, the bath itself to create a vibe or a mood or provide some calm. Like for instance, I'll use lavender sometimes. I'll use different essential oils, Epsom salt. So it's really about the intention behind the bath, mm. not just taking the bath itself. Yeah. What about you? What's your, what's your essentials for the week? You know that I get a little box every quarter just for fun. The subscription I use is called Cause Box. And I think they just changed their name to All True or something like that. Once a quarter, I get a box and it's it's got like various items for the home or for your health. And they're all from ethical, sustainable, small businesses. So last cause box, I got this sleep spray. It's called stress check sleep spray from this works. It's fast acting vegan sleep spray with lavender and chamomile essential oils. And you spray it on your pillow. 
So it's not something I would have like sought out or bought, but I got it in the box. So I started spraying it on my pillow before bed. And then I got used to kind of doing that. And last week, my family and I rented a house on the Texas coast and drove down and stayed there. Well, I didn't bring my pillow. So I was just going to use whatever pillow was in the house, but I brought my sleep spray and I sprayed the pillow every night and I get anxiety a lot. I'm an anxious person, which we'll learn about in today's conversation about the Enneagram. When I travel, it's much worse. And when I travel, I don't sleep well. This sleep spray, the scent of it reminded me of my pillow at home because I had been using it. So like, Mm. yeah. So like I laid my head on this pillow and even though I wasn't able to bring my pillow along on the chip, it smelled like my pillow and it smelled like my home. And it said something to my brain, like you're okay. This yeah. is familiar. And I just slept great the whole trip. <laughs> it was like such a surprise that I have this little sleep spray. I can fit it in my purse and I can bring it anywhere. I'm going to go and travel and know that it'll smell like familiar to me. So yeah. I'm really excited. I wanted to share that in case anyone else found that helpful. Yeah, I love that. That's like a such a great unexpected surprise to bring yeah. you comfort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are some good essentials. Yes. Okay, so on this week's episode, we wanted to bring back our segment, The Roundup, where we talk about what's going on in this crazy world, what we're reading or listening to, or who knows what is in the news that we want to chit-chat about for a moment. I actually heard about this new show on Netflix called High on the Hog. It is new, and it talks about... Um, how African-Americans have basically shaped the cuisine in America. So it traces back the roots of the food, even back to Africa. Um, And it talks a lot about even what slaves did to eat like the things that wouldn't have been considered um, the best type of food because clearly they wouldn't have gotten that. Um, But it goes even deeper and just talks about the influence even today Um, and just some great connections even to like um, ancestors and how you can pay respect and honor during having a meal. So Mm. it was just super enlightening and like also reclaimed, I think, a lot of the things um, among food and even history um, that I found really insightful. And even after that, I a couple people kept asking me if I'd seen it. So that's just a little bit of a snippet. Um, but I invite you all to check it out. Yes. It was good. Cannot yeah. wait to check that out. And the other thing that I watched last night was in Washington Heights. <laughs> the one of the main characters. Um, he's just my favorite. There's a show I was into probably very early on into quarantine um, called She's Gotta Have It, which is also a show on Netflix, but it's a remake of Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It movie, um, which is decades old now. But one of the main characters, Mars, 
is one of the main characters in Washington Heights. So that was one of my main attractions for the show. What is his name? Anthony but- Ramos in real life. <laughs> I love him. Such a crush on him too. Yes. Oh, you can't have the same crush as me. We have the same crushes. It's so funny. We have the same. <laughs> I just love him. You can I really he's so charismatic, you know. Yeah, I really love him, and um, she's got to have it too. His mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. is everything. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we both got a chance to watch it because it just came out. So. <laughs> I know. So actually, this is kind of a heavy hitter conversation because I've been reading a lot of commentary. Oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, where's this going to (laughs) go? Well, I will. Okay, let me say this. First of all, I had never heard of the play, so I'm a newbie. So I loved it. I had a lot of different feelings. One one feeling I did have was sort of this like sinking heart that it was all like, not all, but it was predominantly light-skinned Latinx mm. people. Mm-hmm. And I sort of anticipated that there would be criticism about that because I don't, you know, I don't know a lot about Caribbean uh like Latinx people, but my understanding is that a lot, like a huge majority are black and especially especially in New York. Right. So it didn't, I just not knowing a lot. I just sort of noticed (laughs) that they didn't cast, they cast it kind of very, what's very standard for like what they call Latina dad, which is like very whitewashed or very light skinned or whatever. So I watched it. Then I, I, I really loved the movie and at the same time noticed that. And then sure enough, there was a lot of commentary around it. A lot of people felt oh, yeah. erased. A lot of people mm-hmm. were frustrated because they, they like the root did an interview with a lot of the main actors and she like asked them straight up and their responses were pretty disappointing and mm surprising that they weren't ready for the the two casting directors for in the heights are white were are white people so like it was just Mm. like you have white people casting (laughs) it's just yeah basically I gotcha in that space of nuance again like really love the movie has a role to play in breaking open like the narratives that are told in major Hollywood studio films and at the same time, there's yeah. this issue of colorism that really, if we're in this work and it's not a trend work, it's a real work, we have to engage it head on and listen to the people who are being erased and what they're saying about it. Mm-hmm. So. That's, yeah, that's real. And that, that even though it's a criticism or something you read about, that's like important stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially when you're, when you're telling a story of people who've lived it mm-hmm. so <sighs> yeah well I will say that one of the things that I was excited about in relationship to it was um just the fact that it was shedding light on a new story in the sense that I feel like a lot of the time stories are in black and white mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of the time when people think of racism they only associate it with black folks or just like white and black people um, but I feel like in Washington Heights sheds light on 
it not just being white and black. We are talking Enneagram today. Yay! We're going to introduce that for those who might not have heard it before. For those of you who are not familiar with the Enneagram, it's an ancient personality typing system. And it uses a typology of nine interconnected personality types. And so we're talking numbers here. People identify on the Enneagram uh, of the types as a one, a two, a three, a four, all the way up to nine. But all the numbers are connected to each other in various ways. You can have wings. So if you're five, you might have a six wing and a four wing and those inform your personality. And while there are a lot of uh, only nine numbers, there are just infinite num- um, infinite kind of like shades of ways of being. And so it's definitely the type of thing that's super complex and it doesn't just because there's only nine, it really, it doesn't pigeonhole you and make you just like everybody else. It's, it leaves a lot of room for your uniqueness and it's just really a helpful tool. Um, it's not a current fad. Like a lot of people think, well, it is a current fad, but like it wasn't just invented yesterday. Yeah. So using this resource, The Road Back to You by Ian Crone and Susan Stabile in the early 1970s, here's something we do know about it being repopularized. Chilean named Oscar Ichazo happened upon the Enneagram and made significant contributions, as did one of his pupils, who was an American trained psychiatrist, and he developed it further. And so he brought it back to the United States and he presented it to a small group of students in California, including a Catholic Jesuit priest and educator uh, from Loyola Seminary named Father Robert Ox. And then when Ox returned to the seminary, he taught it to seminarians and priests. Mm. So I'm sharing this to say that's kind of how that Christian vein happened. By the way, Brittany and I are not teachers on the Enneagram. We're not experts on the Enneagram. And we are not trying to give you a lesson. This is our own conversation based on our insights and our curiosity. And so we just want to make sure that is clear as we have this conversation. Yes, indeed. So Brittany, with that in mind, why don't you tell me about your experience and introduction to the Enneagram? Yeah, I learned about the Enneagram in college because Baylor is big on the Enneagram. While I was there, they had a workshop that I attended. It was literally, I want to say a three-day workshop all day long. Learning from Suzanne Stabile, she, she's talked about how it's better to learn your number by reading through and realizing what all the numbers are. Versus mm-hmm. like taking a test Absolutely. beforehand. Yeah. So I literally took a test and was like, let me just see. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I took the test and the test was wrong. Mm-hmm. So that just shows that mm-hmm. sometimes even the test doesn't get it all the way right. What, uh, 
what was your introduction to the Enneagram? I first learned about the Enneagram maybe like eight or nine years ago. I actually did take the test Mm. (laughs) and actually the test typed me perfectly right. It was maybe five years later that we led a small group for our church community and learning about all the various types that was truly when it sunk in for me. So even though I resonated with my own number, it really didn't become this super powerful and helpful tool until I understood all the numbers, because Mm -hmm. then I was able to understand others more and extend compassion and grace and love to people in deeper ways. Okay. So all that to say, Brittany, what is your Enneagram number and how is it helpful? Yes. So I am an Enneagram nine, which is the peacemaker or the mediator. When I took the test originally, I want to say it put me at a one or a three. And I had actually convinced myself that I was a one. Um, from taking the test and also just like having a lot of tendencies towards the one which is the perfectionist even thinking about perfectionism um, I think could be a conversation connected to race where a lot of the time even as a black person we're told um, we have to show up 10 times better than someone else Mm -hmm. so having a lot of those tendencies and really feeling like that was who I was. Once I got into learning the Enneagram more and learning about each of the numbers, um, the nine was something when I heard it originally, I like really was gravitating more to. Um, But according to the Enneagram Institute, number nines are usually creative, optimistic, and supportive, but can also be too willing to go along with others to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. That's me. That's me to a T. But I think I've also, I think even in knowing that I've done a lot of work to listen to what is mine mm-hmm. and not conforming to others. So it's probably my lifelong work, quite honestly. Yeah. You are, I think you're a really healthy nine. Yeah. And even in you saying that, that even that is an Enneagram word or phrase, whether you are in health or whether you are even in stress or in growth, when you learn more about the numbers, there are distinctions between the number you are, the traits that show whether you are in health or where there are whether there are some things you need to work on. I want to hear more about how you resonated with your number since you did did take the test and it was spot on for you. Yeah, so the very first resource that I was ever exposed to was the Enneagram Institute. And I really like a lot of what they say about the six. I basically took the test, got a six. I read the description and it was like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Because the Enneagram, unlike other personality types, doesn't necessarily focus on your strengths. It will really expose, Mm -hmm. yeah, it'll expose your shadow side and it'll expose your ego and it will be uncomfortable to face as opposed to some of these other types 
helping systems where it's all like the good stuff and the strengths and then, and you know, you feel encouraged because I have so much anxiety and so much struggle with fear reading about my type and seeing everything that I feel deep inside it verbalized it made me feel less alone. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, every Enneagram type has a key motivation. If you're kind of curious, is this my number? Is it not? Is to go straight to the motivation. If you do not resonate with the motivation, it's probably not your numbers because the mm-hmm. motivation is going to be like that compass inside you that mm-hmm. really, that really determines like a lot of the decisions you make and how you see the world. For example, I'm a six and my key motivations wants to have security, to feel supported by others, to have certitude and reassurance, to test the attitudes of others toward them, to fight against anxiety. So I actually have a really, really strong seven wing. Seven is the enthusiast, but the motivation of six is absolutely what's happening internally with me. And that's kind of how I knew this is my number. This is my wing (laughs) as opposed to vice versa. You're making me like super curious about my motivations now that you say that. (laughs) The type nine, the peacemaker, the key motivations want to create harmony in their environment to avoid conflicts and tension, to preserve things as they are, to resist whatever would upset or disturb them. Do you resonate with that? Oh, yeah. I definitely resonate so much with the harmony aspect. Like, the peace of mind. Oh, that's like, if you ain't got that, what are we doing? <laughs> yes. So That avoid conflict piece. What is that? Tell me more. <laughs> well, I think sometimes it's still challenging for me in the sense that I have to confront it regularly. It's not that I am trying to avoid conflict. It's more now I'm in a space where I'm realizing, okay, this is conflict. Let me figure out what is best to do in this moment instead of um, pushing away from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yes, the conflict piece pushes me out of my comfort zone to recognize how I can go about navigating it when it comes a long time ago, it would be that I wouldn't even say my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had to do a lot of work to not only hear other people, sometimes repeat things in a way that people hear themselves, but also making sure my voice is heard through that too. Even yeah. if it's if if it's different or in conflict. <laughs> well, and I can see, you know, energy work is going to be helpful for anybody. And if we were to have a conversation about the the relationship between how energy work is helpful based on your Enneagram type. That would be really interesting, but I feel Mm -hmm. like with the nine here is where energy work is like totally transformative is that it helps you get out of that merging kind of Mm -hmm. space. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. so true. Yeah. It's like, I think with energy work, it's an immediate recognition of what is mine and then what is not mine Mm -hmm. and determining um, how to navigate that best versus taking in someone else's stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want to know some more about you. Well, there's one little part. This is truly one of the best paragraphs, the most that I have resonated with about myself. 
ever. Mm. <laughs> See if you hear what you think. Okay. Sixes are like a ping pong ball that is constantly shuttling back and forth between whatever influence is hitting the hardest in any given moment. Because of this reactivity, no matter what we say about sixes, the opposite is often also true. They are both strong and weak, fearful and courageous, trusting and distrusting, defenders and provokers, sweet and sour, aggressive and passive, bullies and weaklings, on the defensive and on the offensive, thinkers and doers, tender and mean, (laughs) generous, generous and petty, and on and on. It is the contradictory picture that is the characteristic fingerprint of sixes, the fact that they are a bundle of opposites. Mm. And I just always feel like I can't settle on anything when I try to give an opinion because I really could feel like the total opposite the next day. (laughs) Oh, wow. I feel like that is so helpful for me to hear. Yeah, because that is not my experience. I mean, uh, like, that's just not how I move in the world. (laughs) Honestly, it speaks into like the anxiety piece, I Mm -hmm. think. Absolutely. Do you have any examples of what that looks like? The way that I picture the anxiety in my head is like a jigsaw puzzle. And if I'm at home, that is the place where I can control the variables the, mo- the most. I can control my schedule to an extent. I can control mm. the environment. And so my puzzle is intact and therefore I can expend energy on other things. So when I travel, when I leave home, when someone changes the plan, when any variable changes, the whole puzzle just flies. It's like flying it around in my brain and all the pieces are hitting each other. And I'm expending all my energy, trying to put them back together and trying to make sense of the world, uh-huh. trying to make sense of what's going to happen. And I can't be at peace until that puzzle is put back together. And, mm-hmm. but the more I do my inner work, uh, and the more I learn how to, overcome certain things that make me anxious, let go of my relationship, rigid relationship with time and things like that, the less the puzzle comes undone as easily. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. I wonder how much I test you. (laughs) (laughs) If I could make that system like just be gone, I would love it, you know, but I did have a couple of questions. So earlier you talked about because of the Enneagram's limitations with intersections, specifically around race, you felt mistyped. You got mistyped from Mm -hmm. the test. And also I know there's more to it than that. I guess I'm curious about how you navigate the Enneagram specifically as a black woman. Yeah. What's funny is it's interesting hearing others talk about the Enneagram. Um, because I learned about it in a space that was more white-centered. Anytime I talk to a person of color about the Enneagram, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know about the Enneagram? <laughs> but what's funny is just recently on Instagram, there's someone whose IG handle is the Black Enneagram, mm-hmm. who um, is kind of breaking down the Enneagram and explores it from the black lens and she uses a lot of cultural references Mm. with music that lend itself to a different viewpoint so that's been super helpful for me yeah even going back to thinking about like the perfectionism piece there are so many things I think people of color have to overcome just to come back to who we are 
oh, as like that's good a person <laughs> without the barriers of white supremacy or patriarchy or all the things extra layers of trauma I would say one of those barriers for me was thinking about perfectionism which Mm. I honestly I feel like I've um, gotten a lot of it from my parents Um, because my mother for instance um, she I would say is a perfectionist and I think in many ways sees that as a great trait not to say it's bad to be a perfectionist there's more times when we need to give each other grace and know that it's okay not to be perfect all of the time Mm -hmm. um that you are still good even when you're not perfect so for me I think when thinking about race I feel like I've been taught that I have to go over and beyond just to be status quo um and I think a lot of people of color likely resonate with that been one thing I've needed to take a step back from just so I can be more present or move in my own way at my own pace I'm so curious about other people and how race plays a factor in the Enneagram too has that been something you've that's been a huge factor or something you've thought about well the thing that bothers me the most at least in my context is just the lack of uh, black and brown voices speaking f- at the front of the room at the center stage about the Enneagram. Even if I can resonate with a lot of this stuff on a core level, when I scroll down Facebook and see a teacher I admire and their whole panel is white and they're representing the types that just bothers me, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, could they not have spent a little extra effort trying to find some, you know what I mean? Other (laughs) perspectives, because when you're using people and interviews to prove to like make your points and to teach, then those perspectives shape how people encounter the concepts. And so I think that's, what's always rubbed me the wrong way. I would love to see like white people making like way more of an effort who have platforms to include those voices. Yeah. Our voices are needed, not just ours, but all black and brown people. I'm going to name the number followed by like the one line description based on the Enneagram Institute type description. And then either one of us can just say what comes to mind immediately, whether that's a relationship or just a thought or something that we resonate with. So think of this as sort of like a fun little lightning round (laughs) segment of our conversation. First type is the reformer, the rational, idealistic type, principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionistic. Yes, you all just heard Brittany talking about this. This is type one. I still love it when I hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like um, from what I know about who I've experienced ones to be, what stands out or I guess resonates is this thought of if you're not perfect um, then you're not like 
a good person or like Mm -hmm. that's something that still stands out and I I guess I'm trying to identify what that how that shows up for someone it's just very interesting to see uh, how they live their lives and how they navigate things but I love the ones in my life that I will say man they get shit done (laughs) (laughs) like the first people to arrive and the last people to leave and they're always on it. They just like make the decision that needs to be made and they see the big picture and yeah. Okay. Type two. Type two is the helper. Caring, interpersonal type, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. The two's basic fear is of being unwanted or unworthy of being loved and their desire is to feel loved. Yeah. I was thinking about a two I know who's a good friend, good colleague. Um, and she does a great job at just like how she shows up for people. I mean, I guess that's the helper. To a tea. <laughs> um, but is also so diplomatic. So that's the first thing I think about. Yeah. In a two. Mm-hmm. You need twos in the world. Oh, yeah. The three is the achiever. The basic fear of being worthless, the basic desire to feel valuable and worthwhile. The achiever is the success-oriented, pragmatic type, adaptive, excelling, driven, and image conscious. Mm. Hmm. No, lots of threes. But yeah, it's so funny because several instances of me not of kind of making a judgment and thinking I'm not sure how I feel about them then come to find out there are three. <laughs> and I find that interesting because for one, I go to three and I know how to yeah, get yeah, yeah. space. But I think it's just because threes, they're not like gonna wear their heart on their sleeve and show you like everything that they're feeling and thinking. And so then you wonder, but I love threes because they're just like bosses. <laughs> I feel like Um, Well, it's funny saying that after you just said that, but I feel like a lot of people's perception of me could be a three, Um, but that, but the three energy is different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of, isn't, aren't threes like super um, assertive? That's different energy than a nine, even though I go to a three Mm -hmm. in growth. Okay, so type four is the individualist, the sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Type four's basic fear is that they have no identity or personal significance, and their basic desire is to find themselves and their significance, so to create an identity. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of fours tend to be like artists and creative. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny because when you said the description all I could think about was a ton of personality so it's interesting to hear the fear I know it's so interesting for the rest of us who aren't bound by those you know demons that the fours have we see the fours as incredibly unique incredibly Yeah. yeah incredibly interesting the five the investigator the intense cerebral type, perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Fives are, their fear is being useless, helpless, or incapable, and their desire is to be capable and competent. 
think what stood out to me was the secrecy piece. What y'all trying to hide? (laughs) Also to bring like a level of spirituality into it. A lot of fives that I know, contemplation and meditation and things like that seem to come easier or more autopilot for fives. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep. So I'm going to skip six because we already talked about it. Seven, I talked about briefly as well. The enthusiast, busy, fun-loving type. Um, The seven's basic fear is of being deprived and in pain. And their desire is to be satisfied and content and to have their needs fulfilled. I know a seven um, who has an abundance of fun-loving energy. Um, That's like, that's basically their only energy. (laughs) (laughs) But they show, Um, they show everyone. Yes. Yes. So it feels, I can feel the fear of Mm. wanting or, or being in fear of having any sort of pain um, Mm. when you have so much exuberant energy that is fun loving. So, man, I think it just, um, for me, I can connect and empathize with how that might resonate for someone. Yeah. And I've noticed that with sevens that I know, they are the most energetic, fun-loving, like you said, encouraging, just they are where the party is at. And like, they're, they're just so great to be around. And at the same time, I recognize that acknowledging the full spectrum of emotions, they're not always showing what it feels like for this, for the pendulum to swing just as high as they can feel, they can feel the the low moods and the depression and things like that. Um, in the same intensity that they feel the stuff that they show all of us and bless us with. Mm-hmm. Finally, the challenger, this is eight. Cause I'm not reading nine. Cause we already talked about it. The challenger is the powerful dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. The basic fears of being harmed or controlled by others. And the basic desire is to protect themselves, to be in control of their own life and destiny. And just to say one more thing about the eights, because I think they get a bad rap. Healthy eights are great friends, exceptional leaders, and champions of those who cannot fight on their own behalf. They have the intelligence, courage, and stamina to do what others say can't be done. They've Mm -hmm. learned to use power in the right measure at the right times, and they are capable of collaborating and valuing the contribution of others. The thought on my mind is... Um, I believe MLK is typed as an eight. Oh, really? You? The thing on my mind is that uh, women eights tend, Mm. all all eights get a bad rap and are misunderstood, but women eights, I really think. Yeah. Experience a lot for who they are. Every eight woman I know would Mm -hmm. say that. And I would say like they've suffered out of all the numbers, probably the most from patriarchy in terms of who they are naturally is really stifled because it's, it's associated with, okay, well, this is acceptable for men, but not for women to have some of these personality traits. That is our little overview of the numbers. We really do encourage you to go listen to or read a resource that is, you know, meant 
to teach on each number in depth if you don't know your number? The Enneagram for me, I'd say there's two ways that it has impacted and helped me the most. One, it has helped me name, understand, engage, and therefore lessen my anxiety. It has been a coping, like it has been a tool that has helped me cope with my anxiety more than any other in terms of stuff you can like read or ingest. And the other way is navigating relationships, understanding people better. And I'm curious, like if you could sum up the ways it has helped you, what you would say. So something super fun that I just realized um, as I was preparing for this conversation um, was looking on the Enneagram Institute website and it described someone who is a nine with a one wing. Listen to this. The title for the person who is a nine with a one wing is the dreamer. Aww. And I just was like, oh my God, that's like my life right now. <laughs> that is like, that description describes me to a T. So I feel like it's helped me step into my power even more so and just like resonate with the characteristics that just describe me whether they're they're good or challenging to embrace it really helps me confront and see myself more and and like you said it really helps me even in my connections with others um, to be more mindful of how someone shows up and really embracing that versus thinking oh you don't think the same way as me or you're not a nine so I think once we can see each other changes the game and how we can connect to each other too so the mantra that we have to share with you all this week is a fun one it connects very much to the name of our podcast. The mantra for the this week that we are sharing is nuance is the tea. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It is. So clearly this podcast and the conversations we're having are dedicated to nuance. They're dedicated to seeing things in new light and not always have black and white thinking. We are welcoming engagement and being creative in how we see the world. So we posed this as a mantra and had a community prompt that we want to give a few shout outs for those who contributed and resonated with the mantra. Our community prompt for the week was in one word, describe what nuance tea feels like to you. And as you're listening, I want you to think of your one word. Aurelia, was there anyone that stood out to you? Yeah, well, we got several responses. And the one that I really resonated with right off the bat came from Facebook, uh, from Kristen. Describe what nuance feels like to you. She said, vulnerability. And I really loved that answer because I think that engaging nuance is the road less traveled. 
it is absolutely the harder way and, and the more fulfilling way, but it takes vulnerability. It takes risking putting yourself out there. It takes risking getting it wrong and messing up and being criticized and being misunderstood. There are so many ways that we have to really open ourselves up to vulnerability if we are going to engage the work of nuance, but it really is such a, uh, like I said, fulfilling place to land. Yes. The shout out or the person I want to shout out that stood out to me was from Larry. His one word answer on what nuance feels like for him was freedom. And if, oh my goodness, I don't resonate with that. Mm -hmm. Love it. I think that's been one of the biggest parts of my journey. And it's interesting because it also connects to the Enneagram in the sense that for my number, the number nine, we can sometimes move into complacency or conformity, but nuance and engaging freedom um, really helps you step out of your own box to, hmm, to, to, to step into greater expansion. And I feel every sense of that um, in the description of freedom and the correlation with nuance. I love it. I love it. That is so good. Thank you for sharing. So one of the reasons that we chose this mantra at this time is because we have just recently rolled out our coffee account. Brittany, do you want to share a little bit more about what coffee K-O-F-I? So we will leave a link to it in our show notes for you to check out. But this is a platform similar to other platforms like, for instance, Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee. This is coffee.com slash nuance tea podcast and it is one of the ways that you can help us sustain our work we have been showing up Mm. um, for this podcast in a way that has been so life-giving and i'm so grateful for the way we've been able to collaborate and build community through it but we also need your help to maintain and be sustained by the work that we're putting out because we want to make this long lasting. We want to make it better and continue to expand. And we really could use your help in order to do that. So thank you all for tuning in to episode 10 on the Enneagram. We want to remind you of all the ways you can stay connected with us and support us. Of course, we just talked about coffee, our K-O-F-I, coffee.com page is up and you can support us one time or monthly there. Check it out to see how you can get your own Nuance is the Tea mug, our first merch that we're going to be putting out shortly. Yes. Yes. We are also on Clubhouse at the Nuance Tea Podcast Club 
on Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern with a brief bedtime affirmation ritual to bless you as you ease into your bedtime routine. We are on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Nuance Tea Podcast. And of course, you can listen to us and all our episodes that are to come right here, wherever you are listening now. So thanks everybody for joining us. We'll see you on our other platforms later. Bye.